Hey everyone, good to be with you. We're looking today at uh, the Millennial Kingdom and the Second Coming of Satan. So we're we're heading towards the the latter stages, if you want, of our studies here in eschatology and the end times. And so we're thinking today about the Millennial Kingdom. This is a period of one thousand years where King Jesus sets up his 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 kingdom here in the earth. This one thousand year kingdom right here on the earth, but it's a, an ongoing eternal kingdom in that sense. And uh, we get the term millennium from two Latin words. We have melee, meaning thousand, and annum representing years. So put them together and we get 1,000 years. So I want to jump in by starting to look at um, some reasons, some purposes as to why there should even be a millennium. Number one, uh, it's pretty obvious this one, but it's for God to have opportunity to reward you and I, the faithful believers. We've gone through life. We've been faithful to him. We've followed him. We've walked with him. We have believed in him, followed his word, adhered to his word, proclaimed his word. And so we're washed in the blood. We belong to him and we return with him. And he rewards us in this kingdom by permitting us to have ruler authority to reign over certain parts of the earth. So we'll be given tasks and jobs, uh, careers if you want, by which he will be glorified, but we're ministering for him right here in the earth uh, at this point in time in the future. We read in Jude 14, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones. So he's returning back with this sort of untold number of, of followers of the angelic host, the believers were coming back to the earth to reign and rule for him and honor him. Matthew says these words in Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, did you notice that? Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this is a kingdom that God has planned from the foundation of the world to be established, set up by which he is glorified, and you're a big part of serving within. In Revelation 22, verse 12, the last uh, chapter of the Bible, the, the apostle John, as part of his revelation, records these words. He says, speaking of Jesus, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So what that means is, that it's important how you and I live today, how you service, serve Jesus today, how you function today in honor of the, the biblical context, and you really live for him in a way that truly honors, magnifies him. Not just going about life but saying, Lord, I'm living this for you. I want to do it your way. I want your will to be done. If you want, I want to establish your plan right here in my life um, here today so that I'm prepared for the future as well. Another reason is to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies prophecies or the Old Testament promises uh, as recorded for us. For example, God made a covenant with King David. It's recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And verse 16 of that uh, text reads like this. Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Notice that word forever. It's important. It's not a, a brief thing. It's an eternal forever thing. Your throne shall be established forever, says uh, the prophet. And this means that Jesus will sit on, on David's throne from which he will establish his kingdom. And Israel then will inherit the land promised to them. God has made this covenant with his chosen people, Israel. He says, this will be your land. It has never worked out perfectly as yet but it will because God has ordained it and promised it he says that will be your land forever nobody's going to take it away from you it's going to be yours because I God am giving it to you so they're going to have that land forever the prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 60 verse 21 that your people shall be righteous and they shall inherit the land forever 
Now, another prophetic promise that was connected here was um, that Jesus would reign over the house of, uh, of, of Jacob forever, not just for a season, but forever. And this was the promise spoken by the angel Gabriel to the young Mary um, about her baby son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, if you want. We, we, we put this into the nativity context and we enjoy it every Christmas time and so on. But let's read it today and really get the, the, the purpose and the, the authority behind it. So let's really read Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 32, 33. Here's what we read. He will be great. Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom... There shall be no end. So there's going to be no end to this kingdom that will be established by Jesus. And this is uh, what's called the millennial kingdom. Number three, the millennium will fulfill the Lord's prayer. You maybe never thought of that, but we're, we're all familiar with the Lord's prayer. Society is, uh, the church certainly is. And people love praying and people love quoting it. But in Matthew 6, verse 10, we read these very familiar and very famous words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the literal happening of this promise will take place during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, whenever the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the millennial kingdom will be here on the earth and it will be exactly as God wants it to be. Um, now with all of that backdrop, let's attempt to enter into the actual millennial kingdom itself. You see, during the 1000 year reign of Jesus Christ here on the earth, we're going to experience a return, if you want, going back to like the time of the Garden of Eden. Back in the Garden of Eden, before there was sin, before there was a fall, before there was any problems like that, we're going to be going back to that sort of setting, that sort of scene. It's going to be a time of peace. There'll be no wars and there'll be no rumors of wars. Here's how the prophet Isaiah describes this time in chapter 11, verses 6 to 9 of his prophecy. I want you to listen and catch what he says, because it's pretty incredible. He says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. When did you ever see that? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. That doesn't happen. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. You're never going to see a small child leading these wild animals. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young one, their, their young ones shall lie, lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. That doesn't happen. Lions don't eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. You're never going to trust a child near that. And the winged child shall put his hand in the viper's den. You would never permit that. You know it's way too dangerous. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's going to be the future. That's going to be this millennial kingdom. There's some of the happenings in it. There's going to be a time of a, a incredible peacefulness here on the earth. <clears throat> also going to be a time of great joy. Um, perhaps um, Isaac Watts' great hymn, if you want, Joy to the World. Again, we sing it at, at Christmas during the nativity season, but it's so much more than that. Perhaps this is literally an anthem for the millennium. This perhaps could be the anthem that's sung out. Joy to the world, the Lord has come because he's here. Let earth receive her king, definitely. No more let sins and sorrows grow. He rules the world with truth and grace. That's the millennial kingdom right there. And here's how Isaiah describes it in uh, chapter 14, verse 7. And then we'll look at chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. 14, 7 reads like this. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. 
they break forth into singing. But notice the whole earth does this. The people of God, those who are glorifying, worshiping, and majestic praise of the great King, wonderful Jesus. And then we look at Isaiah 25, verses 8 and 9. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is all mankind speaking. This is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Because we're now in his kingdom. We're serving him. We're honoring him. We're glorifying him. This is all for his glory. It's going to be a time of great prosperity, uh, true and proper, genuine prosperity. Not the sort of prosperity that's um, preached about today in many capacities, but this is going to be real, true prosperity. See, the world economy will be incredibly prosperous, and the reason for that is because King Jesus is ruling over all things. And when he's in charge and when he's ruling, prosperity will, will happen, will, will function properly, honorably, and in a way by which he is glorified. Here's how the prophet Ezekiel refers to this in his uh, prophecy from chapter 34. Uh, let me read that to you, verses 36 to 27. I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruits, and the earth shall yield their increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. He's blessing them, blessing them incredibly during this future time. Ezekiel chapter 36, in a couple of chapters over, verses 29 to 30, we read, I will call for the grain and multiply it, and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. See, God is blessing the people here because this is the establishment of the millennial kingdom. It's also going to be a time of true, real, genuine holiness. This is when God's people, we should be excited because we want to be a holy people. And this is a time of real holiness because sin will no longer manipulate our lives as it, as it currently does. Isaiah tells us uh, this holiness will happen because the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord that we just read there a few moments ago. So the whole earth is filled with this knowledge of the Lord. And so we worship him, we honor him, we glorify him. And then he continues in, um, Isaiah continues in chapter 66, uh, verse 23, that all flesh shall come to worship before him, before God. All flesh is going to do it because we're holy beings, we're following almighty holy God. And because holiness is a purifying characteristic of God and his people, uh, where they're perfectly set apart, if you want, made holy to God and for God, the prophet Zechariah writes these words in Zechariah 13, verse 2. Let me read these to you. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will cause also I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. So all things are going to disappear because there's going to be a, a purity, a holiness about this kingdom that has never been seen before. One final point about the millennium. Uh, this time of Christ on the earth will serve as a, a great reminder of just how depraved mankind has become during this time and here in the earth. Uh, sin is not going to trouble us, but there's going to be this seemingly this um, recollection, this looking back and recognizing, wow, man was so sinful. He was so far from God. He had no respect for God at all. It was also going to be a reminder to humanity as to the eternal necessity of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the addressing of mankind's sin. Our sin can never be addressed 
except through Jesus. He's the only way to God the Father. There is no other way by which any person can be saved, the scriptures tell us. You've got to come to Jesus if you want your sins forgiven. Only he can take you to the Father. Only he can forgive your sin. So this is what uh, the reminder that's going to be in our minds, if you want. And as you follow these events, you may be wondering to yourself that you're thinking, oh, that's really good. That's exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. But where's Satan? Where's the devil in all of this? Well, during this millennial reign of Jesus here on the earth, Satan has been imprisoned. He's been put away, banished, put into prison, put away to the sidelines. Let's read about his imprisonment from Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. This is what was revealed to the Apostle John. <clears throat> then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. So this angel descends. He's got this chain in his hand. He's got keys. He sees the dragon and the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So he takes Satan and he binds him up for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that it would no, so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time, says the word of God. So we see that he's put in here out of the way for this 1,000 year period. So with the establishment of his kingdom, one of the first things Jesus does, if you want us to remove Satan from the scene, and by doing this, Jesus removes all opposing authority to the establishment of his kingdom. There's nobody and nothing now can hinder or thwart or cause trouble to stop this kingdom taking place, to stop the establishment of this kingdom. So the devil is cast into the abyss, or if you want the bottomless pit, for 1,000 years. And at the conclusion of the millennium, God then releases Satan, giving him one last uh, attempt at, at gaining the whole world as is his intention to do so. Let's read about it in Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10. <clears throat> Just a few verses down. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Now, that's important. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They, they came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city, that would be Jerusalem. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So they're doing all this, and then suddenly they're consumed. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, it's a pretty grim setting, a pretty grim statement and all of that, but we should be rejoicing because the devil is our great enemy. Satan is our enemy. We serve God. We serve the risen God. We serve the risen Messiah. He's our Savior. He's our one that we follow. We believe his word, the Bible. And so the, the devil is against everything about that. And what we need to recognize here is that during this millennial period, those who have not yet been glorified, that is, who have managed to survive the, the tribulation period, they, they will be troubled. They're going to still be troubled by this sinful nature, even though they've come to know to know Christ. They're going to be troubled by the sinful nature. And during the millennial kingdom, they will have lived in a manner that has been troubled by Satan or his demons. And so they, they will have genuinely and faithfully worshipped Jesus throughout this time. But many of them will have had families. Many of them will have had um, children and grandchildren, and multiple grand great-grandchildren, so on, born and raised in this time, who are still rejecting Christ as being Lord of all things. So not everybody in this kingdom is going to follow Jesus. I mean, 99.9% .9 will, but there are those who perhaps won't. 
Now, whenever someone is in prison for a period of uh, time suited to their crime, such as Satan here, there's always a hope that reform, uh, that they will reform and never repeat their practice for which they've been imprisoned. Well, even though Satan will be released, he's going to have absolutely no remorse and his character will have experienced no reformation at all. He's not going to be changed in any way. He's not going to be soft. He's serious about what he wants to happen. And he will busily attempt to attract or distract God's people to follow him once more. And so Revelation 28 says, the number of them who follow him is like the sand of the sea. A mass number of people will begin to follow him and together they will attempt to overrule Christ, to take over Jerusalem and the people of God. Bible teacher J. Vernon McGee attempts to explain it in these terms and they may be helpful to us. He says, apparently Satan is released at the end of the millennium to reveal that the ideal conditions of the kingdom under the personal reign of Christ do not change the human heart. So in other words, even though these people are living there, they haven't had their hearts Changed. This reveals the enormity of the enmity of man against God. Scripture is accurate when it describes the heart as desperately wicked and incurably so from Jeremiah. Man is totally depraved, says McGee. The loosing of Satan at the end of the 1,000 years proves that. So mankind is still struggling, still tormented in some capacity by sin from some of these uh, these people who've been born there and so on. So the millennium proves the wickedness and the deception of the human heart and only Jesus Christ, only Jesus Christ can correct that nature in any way at all. Now, in all of this, we have um, Gog and Magog mentioned and listed there. So Satan and his rebel forces, they're referred to in Revelation 20 verse 8 as being Gog and Magog. And Magog is considered in these terms. Let me read it to you from one, um, one scholar. He writes, According to Genesis 10 verse 2, Magog was the second son of Japheth and the grandson of Noah. Most scholars identify the land that Magog founded as the domain of the Scythians who lived in the mountains around the Black and Caspian Seas. The author says here, I like to identify this area as the homeland of the Stan countries, a real needy place where the gospel has got to get to today, which are all states of the former Soviet empire, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and perhaps even Afghanistan. According to another author, Mark Hitchcock, these nations today have one thing in common, Islam. And within their borders, they have a combined population of 60 million people so there's a different way of thinking and there's a lot of people right there living for their own lives so these nations are going to form an alliance and it's believed that together they will attack the nation israel which will birth a war on the holy land and this will happen during the tribulation and therefore right before the millennial kingdom now the battle, this battle in Revelation 20, it's going to be a brief battle. It's going to be a really short battle. Uh, Satan and his, the deceived nations, along with Gog and Magog, they surround Jerusalem and they're ready and prepared to destroy the city whenever something incredible happens. God miraculously intervenes in protection of his people and he sends from heaven a consuming fire to destroy his people and those who are opposing his people in their ways. And immediately Satan is thrown into the lake of uh, fire to suffer alongside the beast and the, and the false prophet for all eternity. That's where he will suffer for all eternity. This is this is the destruction of the false anti-Christian trinity. So we don't want to be any part of that, obviously. But until this time, I want you to see, I want you to come back into the picture here. Until this time, 
until this time, until this final and complete destruction of Satan, you and I are going to be troubled and tormented uh, along the way as faithful believers. We're looking for Jesus to come and take us to be with himself and have that rapture. But until that time, we're going to be troubled. We're going to be tormented as we, we, we attempt to live faithful Christian lives. So Paul advises the believer to attire yourself suitably. He tells the believers to use what we've been provided with, the complete armor of God. This is the only way that we can presently find protection from God's enemy, if you want. The enemy is causing havoc in your life, my life, as we attempt to live for Jesus. But when we put this armor on, we're protected. We're ready for battle. Um, Author and pastor Jack Taylor encourages to put on the armor through prayer. I want you to listen carefully now. Acknowledging that we're in this spiritual battle every day of our lives, Taylor suggests that we, we pray this prayer every day of our lives. It's worth listening to. Let me read it to you. He says, I choose now to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I confess that I'm in the Lord and thus I'm located in the power of his might. I choose to put on the whole armor of God that God has provided me in order that I might stand against the methods of the enemy. That's so important. We want to stand against what the enemy is throwing at us. I know that the battle is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not against the people around us. It's not even against those people who oppose us. It's these, these other authorities, these principalities, these powers, these rulers of darkness, these spiritual wickedness that's in high places. He continues, Therefore I stand to accept the armor which is mine in Jesus. I put on the breastplate of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made, he has made unto me righteousness, I made, I made righteous in him. So because we put this on, then Jesus is our righteousness and we're righteous in him. That's so encouraging. I put on the girdle of truth. I accept the fact that Jesus is truth and that truth has made me free. I refuse deception and I accept the truth. The only the truth can set you free. That's the word of God. That's where we find truth. And we find that directs us to Jesus. Don't look at the world. Don't look at the things around you. Don't look at the philosophies around you, other religions. Look to the word of God. Look to Christ and you find truth. I slip into the footwear of preparation in the gospel. I'm now ready to walk with him. The gospel is what we're called to present to our fellow man. Not our thoughts, not our opinions, not some sort of um, easy way of salvation, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. I put on the helmet of salvation. The certainty of my salvation covers and protects my mind and my outlook. I stand in that certainty now. We need that helmet of salvation. We need our minds protected from the darts of society and what's being thrown at us from the enemy along the way. I take up the shield of faith. I now trust in the trustworthiness of God. I'm covered from head to toe so that Satan's fiery darts cannot touch me. We need to find ourselves steeped in the word of God. We need to find ourselves using this shield. We need to find ourselves wearing this armor so that we're protected when we're in this battle, we're in it continually. I now take my offensive weapon, the word of God, the Bible, declaring it to be true without error, reliable, powerful, and alive. God's word to me. God's speaking to you. This word, the Bible, is alive. When you pick up the Bible, it's a live, living book, and God speaks to the redeemed soul through that book by his Holy Spirit. He brings that to life. So it's so important. This is why we need to read this book, believe this book, and call this book that it is no error, it is reliable, it's powerful, and it is alive. And he says, now I'm dressed 
from head to foot for battle, ready to go to battle. Every day, you and I will be in this battle until we're with Jesus and until he sets up his kingdom. But until then, we're in the battle. So let's fight and let's be a people prepared to do war with this enemy, Satan, who's going to make the second comeback, if you want, after um, all this time to trouble, torment people yet again. Let's get the truth out there. Let's live the truth and declare the truth today. Because what we do today determines what we'll be doing in that millennial kingdom. Be blessed as you look forward to your position, your job, your task in the millennial kingdom, all because you know Jesus Christ, all because you've been washing his blood by, from your sin, and all because he's the only one who can set you free and has led you to the right relationship with God the Father. Be blessed, be encouraged, and I look forward to catching up again. Meantime, you look forward and get prepared for living and serving in that millennial kingdom. Thanks for listening.